welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we're talking about chapter 11 of The Subtle Knife, The Belvedere. Did I say that right? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I'm leaving that in. Nice. Hello. Hi. Hiya. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. It's been a rough couple of weeks, but I'm I'm still here. Surviving. Mm-hmm. Happy uh, one, one year pandemic anniversary. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Love to celebrate. What do I have? I don't really have anything new to report to you. I am currently... Well, I've just finished... Rich knows this full well because I won't stop sending her quotes and pictures, but I've just finished another rewatch of Workaholics and I love it so much. It's brought so much joy into my life and I've just started watching Broad City again. So I've definitely mentioned both of those TV shows on the pod before, but that is how uninteresting my life is, is that I'm just rewatching TV shows that I've already seen a million times. But you know what? At least it's bringing me some joy. Nice. How are you? Oh, I'm good, thank you. <laughs> oh, well, right. I think. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> Well, I'm very well. Oh, actually, I wash my hands quite well before we started podcasting. I was covered in paint up until about half an hour ago. Fair, fair. Um, I'm in the middle of painting loads of things, and I've just been kind of burying my head in work stuff and trying not to get stressed out. But also, I am me, so I'm a little bit stressed out. <laughs> Mostly, I'm just counting down the days until we're able to like have some of the humans in our garden, and also just it being warm like I had an amazing day yesterday where I was able to go it's it's pretty wild what gets me excited these days today <laughs> I went out into the shed and I did some casting and I didn't have to wear five jumpers to do it because wow. it was sunny and so I was like the sun was actually keeping me warm can you it's such a novelty imagine? I just can't <laughs> even imagine it's spring <laughs> yeah it is and we saw each other in person recently for the first time since the beginning of December, I think. Yeah, a really long time. And we met for a walk and it was lovely. I'm just so fucking sick of it now. I'm sick of it. I'm done. The sun will help. I'm already feeling slightly more optimistic because it's been sunny, which is great. That's true. I'm just like, oh God, I'm so done. Done with there being a pandemic as I'm sure everybody else on the planet is. Yeah. So positive as always. Yes. (laughs) By the way, can I just say that... I am always talking to you about watching Broad City and I'm wearing my Broad City t-shirt. You are. I was looking at your t-shirt when we first got on video chat and thought, that's a Broad City t-shirt that is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. I just need a Workaholics t-shirt now to add to my collection. Nice. My t-shirt, pretty wild. It has fried eggs on it. Amazing. What is with you and eggs recently? You fucking love I eggs at the minute. I just really love an egg. They're very versatile. They're all good eggs, Faye. All eggs are good. Actually, mm, are there any eggs that I don't like to eat? Except for the bad eggs. Bad Bad eggs. That's a buffering reference (laughs) for you there. (laughs) Of course it is. Of course it is. Sign up for our side side podcast all about eggs. (laughs) (laughs) Listen to it anywhere you get your podcasts. It's just two gingers talking about their love of eggs in all of their forms. It's not. Oh my God, that would be such a podcast. I'd love that podcast. <laughs> I just love any kind of like really, you you all know this, but I love any kind of stinky, potent food. Eggs aren't that potent. 
Well, they are. They fucking stink. Not if you're doing them right. They're not mild, are they? <laughs> like, if you had, like, a hard-boiled egg, that smells. As does egg mayo. As does all form of egg. It has a very distinct, quite strong smell. Mm. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Who'd have thought when you tuned in, you'd get a 10-minute exposition all about eggs? I didn't think that we would. It's not in my notes. Do you want to know what is in my notes? Yes. I don't know if you noticed, but our podcast schedule has been all fucked up because we released two very exciting interviews. So if you have not listened to our interviews with Russell Dodgson and Jane Tranter, go back and listen to them just because you really should and they're great. Definitely do. The Jane interview came out to the world yesterday as we're recording and it's just really exciting seeing all your reactions to it (laughs) yeah definitely and uh jane was amazing to talk to and we were very nervous but it was great and i really loved it but yeah we we did mess up the schedule a little bit but we are now aiming to just flow right on through and finish this little knife because we've only got after this chapter there's only four left right yeah we're nearly there so unless unless something amazing interview wise falls into our laps we shall just be now finishing this whole knife with no interruptions we'll see we've got plenty of uh i would say irons on the fire but it's more emails in the bottoms of people's inboxes yeah. <laughs> emails in people's spam it's probably what yes. it is <laughs> got a lot of spam folder emails just waiting to be discovered yeah but yeah, like after this little knife, we've got loads of stuff. Still got loads of stuff to do. We've got the lantern slides. We're going to do a mailbag. We're going to do a wrap up. All before yeah. we start the Amber Spyglass. It feels so weird. I know that we've still got a fair way to go before we start the Amber Spyglass, but it feels weird that it's even on the horizon. Because like when we were doing Northern Lights, like I was was rarely thinking about the Amber Spyglass. And now I'm like, it's actually coming up probably before the, like, well, yeah, actually it will be, definitely be before the end of this year that we make it to the Amber Spyglass. And it seems so strange. Really strange. What's going to be even stranger is that we will have done the entirety of the subtle knife in lockdown, pretty much. Yeah. There's been varying stages of lockdowns and certain levels of it being a bit more open and closed up or whatever. But we finished Northern Lights in the middle of a, of a pandemonium <laughs> and we are finishing the subtle knife at the end, to, hopefully towards the end of the UK's pandemonium. But we will see. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that is very strange. What an odd little time capsule this will be for anyone coming to them these podcasts later in years to come. If you're listening to this podcast beyond 2021, welcome to this weird little time snippet into two people really depressed by a pandemic. Yeah, how is it? How is it not in 2021? Is it good? Don't answer that. I really hope so. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I think I've said this before on the pod, but it always amuses me when we get people that are listening to Northern Lights episodes before lockdown and us talking about what we're going to do in 2020. And they're just like, yeah, that's not happening. Bibs, it's not going to (laughs) happen. One of the things that has been sustaining us throughout this pandemic, throughout the last year, has been interacting with our amazing patrons. And we have a brand new patron to give a shout out to, and that is our good friend Steph. Hey, Steph. Steph. Hi, Steph. Thank, Thank you, you so you, much. Steph. <laughs> uh, Steph is a friend of ours, and we can't wait to see you in person, Steph, when that's allowed. Yeah. I feel like when I moved recently, I moved, we had a little conversation, and I've moved closer to where Steph lives so further away from me further away from Rich closer to Steph my plan all along (laughs) (laughs) she's 
just trying to inch away from me. (laughs) Move by move. Uh, Can I say you moved first away from me, so don't start that game. I am sorry. (laughs) Yeah. But yes, thank you, Steph. We really appreciate you um, supporting us. I love our Patreon crowd. It's slowly growing. There's so many, so many lovely people that we chat with on the daily in the Discord. Um, And we're still doing our rewatch of the TV series. So... If you want to join Patreon and join in on those fun things, Rach, what's the link? I'm putting you on the spot because you can never remember it. <laughs> that would be http colon forward slash forward slash www.patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. Yeah? You did it. You did it. You froze halfway through and I was like, is she going to do it? Is she going to do it? She did it. <laughs> I did it. In its entirety. You did, yeah, well done. <laughs> Although I don't know if it's HT, is it HTTP or HTTPS? They're ostensibly the same. If Patreon is anything worth its salt, it would redirect you to HTTPS or be a secure server. It's true. Which it's is true. a thing that I've been trying to learn about because my website is being a pain in the ass. Fair. One of the things that I would like to mention about Patreon, which is quite fun, is that our next Patreon goal is 50 patrons and Rach has been beavering away in the background making some little t-shirt designs which are so cool and I think you're all going to really like them and when we get to 50 patrons that will mean that we have like enough money and resource to delve more into that so yeah watch out for that hopefully we'll reach that goal soonish and might be able to get some t-shirts out into the world which I am very excited about. I keep having ideas and like little moments of inspiration, spending an afternoon drawing stuff. And I've got, yeah, there's a few designs in the works, which I'm really excited to hopefully put on t-shirts and things. Yay! (laughs) Hey, Faye. Hello. What would your demon have been this week? So I have been walking a lot. Loads. I've been doing loads of walks. I've been going outside and walking and walking. And I was thinking... What's a good com- companion for a walk? Obviously dogs, but I've, I feel like my demon's been a dog loads of times. And I was like, what's an animal that like travels quite far or can like handle like longish distances? And I've gone for a hummingbird. Oh, yeah. do they go far? So apparently they travel over 2000 miles twice a year to migrate and they can do up to 23 miles in a day. But they're so small. I know, I know, I know. And their wings move so fast, they must be knackered. Yeah, right, right. So I thought, oh, it'd be really cute oh. to have a little hummingbird demon just, you know, buzzing around my head. Maybe it can land on my shoulder and stuff. Yeah, you could pick little flowers for it to, like, have little snacks on as you walk past them. Yeah, and I just thought it'd be really cute and fun and a nice companion for me while I'm walking because that's literally the only thing to do right now is to, if you want to, like get some fresh air you just gotta do a walk nice what would your demon be rich i know you were super prepared and you didn't just sit there for 10 minutes looking while i sat here on google meets waiting for you to be done Shh. <laughs> it's fine i i definitely did that i wasn't really sure i've been so i've just been a bit scatterbrained lately to be honest but i have also been doing a lot of walks and i've also been struggling with like oh it's warm outside oh it's very cold mm. oh now i'm really chilly and i need a hot water bottle but look there's the sun outside and i'll go and like run into the sun so i was looking at variations upon different kinds of cats and i have landed upon the canadian lynx the canada lynx mostly because he's just really fucking cute and fluffy and cuddly but he looks like he'd be great on long walks great in the cold and for cuddling um i've just sent you a picture of one that's like 
in the middle of washing its balls, but it just shows you how fluffy its Great. paws are. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, oh my God. It's got massive feet. <laughs> yeah, its feet are huge. I feel like there's going to be some good like facts for you. So I'm now totally not on the fly looking up some <laughs> facts. She's um, But also they have like tiny little short little tails which is really cute and funny and i've been i've been very clumsy lately so i feel like a, if i had a cat with a long tail that tail would get trodden on whereas like they've got little cute little bob tails and they've got big feet which we noticed but they act like snowshoes when it's snowy to be fair i've picked a snow animal and it's spring but i don't care it's all good they can run fast they've got short tails uh that's kind of all that the facts want to tell me right now which is a bit shit isn't it come on give me better facts <laughs> Maybe they're just really elusive. Yeah. <laughs> there are no facts about these animals. They're mostly bunny rabbits. And I mean, I guess it is almost, it's like spring. It's bunny season. Road. Yes. Basically, I just saw them and thought they looked really cute and fluffy. And I was like, yes, thank you. I love a lot of the time our demons are like, we don't ever really, I, I feel like obviously since lockdown, it's, I feel like all I've done is fucking reflect on my life and my brain and how I think about things. But also you just get really bored of, of like thinking like, oh, what would my demon be this week based on how I feel? And a lot of the time it's just like, this is a really cute animal. So I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> I feel like if my demon could still change, it would turn into... My demon would have gotten bored of being, like, the same boring animal all the way through lockdown because nothing in life has been changing and my mood has been consistently meh. That it would be like, I'm going to try and cheer you up. I'm going to turn into the fluffiest, cutest thing that I can think of. And that would be great. Yeah, I do think if my demon was going to change at all throughout my life, it would have probably been during the period of lockdown. You know, people got to know themselves better during that time mm -hmm. i feel it would be a perfect time for your demon to change even as an adult yeah big old revelations <laughs> everyone spending so much time with themselves or separated from people they love or working really hard in really scary situations mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. last chapter we were back with lee scoresby as he searched for and finally found the elusive stanislaus grumman Grumman revealed his true identity as John Parry, a.k.a. Will's dad, and explained how he came to be in Lyra's world. He tasked Lee with a new mission to take him to the world beyond the Azrael explosion and find the bearer of the subtle knife. Lee agreed, but only if he could also ask the bearer to protect Lyra. Lee and Parry set off in Lee's balloon on their new mission. In this chapter, Lyra and Will are back in Chittagatse recovering from the heist. A group of children led by Angelica and Paolo form an angry mob and chase Will and Lyra into a tower. Serafina and the witches come to their rescue. We're back. We're back with Will and Lyra for this chapter. And to be honest, just to say it, it's not my favourite chapter. I'm not a massive fan of it, I'm not going to lie. My So going into this chapter, my memories of this chapter were, from the name of the chapter, Hand Got a Clue, and then I was like, oh God, what, what does happen next? Oh yeah, something to do with them. And I have like memories of reading and visualising Will and Lyra running to a tower mm. to escape the kids and how that felt very different in the TV series watching it to how it felt reading it. But that's all I really remembered was that they like got chased up a tower and that it was scary. Yeah, I remember there being a slope. I don't know why. I remember them having to run up a very exposed slope, but that was it. Yeah, I don't know. I like, I feel like 
it's one of those chapters where like not a lot happens in terms of like not not much progresses like in the story apart from it's it's kind of there as a device isn't it to chase will and lyra out of chittagatsi so that it's not a safe place for them anymore it forces them to move camp basically it's important that it's there um because it moves the story along but like i'm never really a massive fan of those chapters that are only blatantly there to move the story along like i much prefer like character development and stuff like that i guess we could probably start with the chapter title which we briefly mentioned in the end of the last book episode because we knew that it sounded really familiar but weren't really sure where from essentially the origin of belvedere it's the name given to kind of any building really that has a beautiful view it derives from two italian words bell for beautiful and vedere for view so it just means the beautiful view so it's you could refer to almost any building that's got a nice scenic window placement or like a panoramic view as a belvedere and that is why we find it familiar because there's lots of hotels castles stately homes art galleries loads of like fancy buildings like to call themselves the belvedere because they've been built to look out at a nice view (laughs) Yeah, in this chapter, like the actual Belvedere that they like hide in, that feels really familiar to me. In like, do you know, like stately homes or like something like super posh? It reminds me. I know it's a little bit different than this, but it reminds me a lot of like a not like a bandstand vibe. Like I know it's a proper building, a little building with like a little viewing platform. It makes me think of like a bandstand. It always made me think of especially reading the chapter, it made me think of there's like a hunting, like a hunting tower, a hunting lodge tower on the grounds of Chatsworth House in the Peak District that's like, it's literally just a tall structure built at the top of a hill and overlooks the grounds of Chatsworth. Its main purpose is that it's kind of like a lookout point for whoever is the groundskeeper to literally keep an eye on the grounds and also for like purposes of being like, oh, if we're going to go hunting, then I can physically see that the deer herd is over there (laughs) there's actually yeah that's actually made me think there's loads of them like i can think of like a couple off the top of my head from like where i grew up so there's a um, a keppel's column which was basically it's still there but it was built by some guy who was like super rich just because he had loads of money and he was like i'm just gonna build this it's like a really like big tower and it's got a viewing platform at the top and he's like i'm really rich i'm just gonna build this so that we can all see off the top of it and then Wentworth Woodhouse, which is a big stately home near where I grew up, has, I feel like it owns these two things that it's known in the village uh, as salt and pepper pots. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I can't remember what they're actually called, but like they're in different locations, but the same basically. And they're basically like viewing platforms. A lot of rich people, I think, build them so that they can climb up to the top and look out at all the shit they own. Yeah. Um, essentially yeah, yeah. <laughs> a literal Simba Mufasa moment of like everything the light touches is my kingdom when I stand at the top of this tower because I'm so fucking rich <laughs> basically yeah we are back with Will and Lyra they're in the white villa thing that we heard about last chapter which initially is what I thought the Belvedere was was the name of the villa it gives that impression and then it's only when you find out what a Belvedere is that you're like oh no it's the weird tower that they go to yeah so there's a there's a description straight off here which like reminded me of something so it says in the great white villa in the park will slept uneasily plagued with dreams that were filled with anxiety and with sweetness in equal measure so that he struggled to wake up and yet longed for sleep again it's a little bit different because i feel like will is 
in a bit more of a like this seems like more of a positive dream situation that is going on obviously he's got like he has anxiety but it's mixed with like this sweetness of like sleep or whatever it really makes me think so the line he struggled to wake up and yet longed for sleep again that really reminds me i don't know if you've ever experienced sleep paralysis i have not oh my god it is one of the worst things ever i hate it so much so basically for me this is why i avoid naps because it usually happens for me when i'm having a nap so i've never experienced a lot of people have i don't know if the right term for it is hallucinations but a lot of people see things while they're having sleep paralysis so there's that you probably heard that story of the woman in like black like a really like banshee type haggy woman that like sits on someone's chest and like stops them from breathing and they can't move i've never experienced anything like that i've never seen anything but i've been i've woken up and not been able to move and you want to wake up but your body's not letting you and it's forcing you back into sleep and it's horrendous and i used to i haven't had it in a while thank god but i've had it at times where like my partner at the time saw me wake up and like sit up he described it as me trying to like drag myself out of sleep like I did like a silent scream terrifying right yeah (laughs) and that line really reminds me of that like I don't think that's what Will's going through because I feel like it feels like he's he's just like oh I'm just longing for sleep I just want to stay asleep for longer because then it just mentions that he's drowsy afterwards but like the struggling to wake up and yet longing for sleep again really reminds me of like how I used to feel with sleep paralysis and honestly I would not wish it on my worst enemy it's the most horrific thing ever it really resonated for me with just in terms of like just fever dreams like when you're really sick or even if like for example if you've gone to bed in winter and you've been like I'm gonna wear all the pajamas and put my socks on in bed because it's really really cold but then you wake up in the morning and you're too hot and it's that feeling of like drifting in and out of sleep and like feeling kind of like each time you're falling asleep a little bit like you're like sinking further and further in and it's the stuffy feeling of it as well that I really resonates with me and I have a thing when I'm on the edge of wakefulness when I'm sleeping when I'll suddenly really struggle to see things in my dreams like I'll be really aware that my eyes are closed and really struggle to open my eyes and then at various points throughout the dream when I try really hard to open my eyes I'll open my eyes in real life oh i've never had that before and then i'll be like oh i'm awake now and then i'll be really annoyed because it will have i've been trying like straining to see something in the dream and then i'll have woken instead of like opening my eyes and seeing what i was trying to look at i'll have woken up and i'm like ah fuck (laughs) do you ever have it where like you have a dream or whatever you wake up from a dream and then you're trying to remember it and it literally falls out of your brain like a sieve like i i feel like i i have it all the time where i've like woken up from like a really good dream and i, I like want to tell somebody about it or i just want to like rehash what's happened and then as i'm thinking about it i can only describe it as literally falling out of my brain and i feel like i've got my hands out like trying to catch it like no no i want to remember this and it just disappears that happens to me all the time i have them where i feel like a dream's had like a really strong my partner keeps telling me that I need to stop having movie dreams because I feel like there's like I do a lot of world building in my head and like I've had dreams before where there's been like entire economic systems that I understand for some reason of like how the like barter system of this world that I'm living in and this dream has and trying to explain it to someone they're like why is this so complex what are you talking about um but things that feel really clear and linear to me in the dream and I'm trying to tell it as a story to someone because I think it was great everyone 
it's like a common thing that people hate listening to people's dreams and I force my partner to listen to my dream about my dreams all the time and we're forcing you dear listeners to talk about dreams right now (laughs) but yeah like I keep getting told that I remember too much of my dreams sometimes because I can tell like a half hour story when I wake up in the morning (laughs) isn't it that like every time you sleep you dream but you just don't remember it is that a thing did I make that up or do you sometimes not dream I don't know I don't know I don't know where I heard that so don't hold it don't hold me to it but I don't dream that often. I feel like what I usually do, because I struggle to sleep. I'm like, I'm a really bad sleeper in general. Always have been. How sad for me. But I feel like what I do is like, I create scenarios in my head that I think will help me sleep. So like, I'll make up like a story in my head and I'll like, just like play it in my head to, to stop me thinking about, you know, being like anxious or like worrying about stuff or whatever, to try and like get my brain to not do that. And then like, train it to go to sleep by just thinking about something that's completely irrelevant that sometimes helps that's really nice yeah i wonder if that's why i don't dream too much because i'm already doing loads of work to try and like make these scenarios (laughs) so that i can actually fall asleep so when i fall asleep it's like you know what she's good (laughs) yeah i wonder i don't know how you train your brain to do that because i the moment i if i like wake up in the night because i've had a nightmare or something and i think think about nice things think about nice things and then a little showreel of all the scariest parts of all of the horror films that I've ever seen runs in my head when I'm trying to think of nice things because my brain is a saboteur (laughs) so I struggle with that as well so I struggle with like just thinking of nice things so I make up an entire story like it depends on what's going on in my life so like I've been watching a lot of workaholics and a lot of broad city so I'm like oh like how would I insert myself into that narrative? That'd be fun if I was in an episode of Workaholics, you know, like st- really stupid stuff like that. And I like work it out in my brain and I'm like, cool, let's do it. Have you ever done a His Dark Materials one? I haven't. I haven't done one, but maybe um, maybe soon. If I do, I'll let you know. Insert yourself into the scene between Mary Malone and Mrs. Coulter, please. Can you pop in with a cup of coffee? I shall, and, like, yeah offer them a drink and then they both stick around and you go out for cocktails in the evening after work and become like gal pals a trio of gal pals a thruple oh oh my god thruple of my dreams yeah 100% (laughs) well I mean that was like the literal first line of the chat I was like maybe this chapter won't be that long because there's like not a ton going on and then I was like we've just spent like tangent city out here (laughs) just spent like 15 minutes talking about dreams (laughs) well unfortunately for Will he can't stay asleep because his bandages come loose and the bed is red yeah it's not going well for him and his his wound is it poor little lamb i just feel so bad for him for like the rest of this couple of pages he's he's struggling he's really struggling yeah he struggles out of bed and makes his way to find Lyra. She's immediately on it. She's very like, she's very caring in this chapter. She's putting her like caring foot forward and she's very much attentive to what she thinks Will needs. Also love to see her like making coffee and offering to make food and stuff. She's come such a long way since the beginning of the book. She always, she always refers to the fridge as the cold cabinet. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. The cold box. It's cold. I really relate to them staying in the servants quarters of the house as well. Like, Instead of like, I think I would de- also definitely feel intimidated by like the big bedrooms with like the big four poster beds and stuff. I had this conversation with my friend the other day about how I'm just not a huge fan of like really big houses. I like to feel cozy. Obviously, us being like into true crime and stuff, it's like I wouldn't want to be in one part of my house and not know what was going on in another part of the house. You know what I mean? Like, say if somebody broke into it or whatever, you wouldn't fucking hear it. No, mm. like I just don't think I'd be able to deal with that very well. So like, I am. Um, 
I think I would also go and sleep in the in the servants' quarters rather than be in a big grand bedroom. Big like open plan houses. It's like no, the more doors I can put between me and someone else, the better. <laughs> yes, hundred percent. I completely agree as well. Yeah, I'm not a fan of like open plan stuff. I'm all for a good room. <laughs> yeah, me too. Like when I know sometimes it can't be helped in like studio flats and stuff, but whenever you see like a big flat or something and it's very open plan to the point where like the bed is in the same room as like the living room and the kitchen or whatever, it's all just one room. I'm like, no, no, I need walls. Enclose me, please. Yeah. <laughs> thing that i loved is that lyra's like oh i can't find any baked beans and will's like this isn't a baked beans kind of house which means it's my kind of house down with baked beans (laughs) i do not like them stop with your fucking baked bean propaganda there's nothing wrong with baked beans do not like them no get out (laughs) what i read that as is is reading those bloody poshos of filth isn't it being like this this is not a baked bean house they're too fancy for beans here. Does that mean I'm too fancy for beans? I think so. I think you're too fancy. You're posh and all then are you too fancy for beans? Who do you think you are? <laughs> it would be easier for me if I wasn't too fancy for beans because the amount of time, times I've asked for like a full English breakfast somewhere and then they've, I've asked for no beans and then they've given me beans. It's been very sad. And then the bean juice gets all over the rest of the things and it. I don't like it. It's a tough life, Rich, for you and your beans. Yes. My life is incredibly hard because of baked beans. You like ketchup, right? Yeah. It's very similar. No, it's not. They're completely different. They're both tomato-y, right? No. They are. No, one of them is a nice little condiment to pop on the side and dip your chips in. The other one is the juice of Satan. <laughs> it can get out. Why are you smothered all over those beans? Get off. Stop it with your baked bean beef. I'm sorry. So... Lyra preps some fresh clean tea towels to turn into bandages and runs some hot water for him and Will is too out of it and in pain and faint and dizzy to kind of feel embarrassed at all about stripping down to his underpants to have a little wash because he's covered himself in blood while he was asleep. Uh, Lyra is embarrassed for the both of them. It's sweet. It kind of harks back to... What we were saying a fair few chaps ago now, they're at such an awkward age. Like they're noticing like bodies and things on bodies. You know what I mean? For me, I know when I was younger and I was like going through puberty and stuff, I was always aware of people's bodies and like what they were doing with them. And like, do you know, just even really little things like what people's hands looked like and and how they moved and all that kind of stuff. It was just like the physicality of people. I felt that I noticed a lot more as I got into like my teenage years. Yeah, for me, it just harks back to like Lyra turning her back when like Roger's having a bath at Asriel's house and like just that first inkling of like the monkey turning his back when Lyra's having a bath and like making pan turn his back and like she's only just been made aware that bodies are embarrassing in air quotes because bodies aren't embarrassing. They're just the vessels that move us around and need various amounts of maintenance and alteration based on what we need. And that is absolutely fine. But like we're taught to find bodies embarrassing like Lyra has been taught to find it I'm sure if she hadn't had that interaction with Coulter and had just kind of carried on in blissful ignorance kind of unsocialized because she hasn't hung out around a lot of kids and she hasn't hung out around enough adults to find things embarrassing she might not have found it embarrassing but she's been taught that bodies are embarrassing because she's been taught that by Coulter she's been taught that at Bolvanger probably when she went there and was like interacting with other kids and was in like separated dormitories between girls and boys and like she's learned that embarrassment I think yeah that sucks right Yeah, it really does. But yeah, Will is too knackered for that embarrassment. And I feel that as well. There's definitely, 
for me it's only ever come out when you're like end of a night out drunk there's just like a level of embarrassment that disappears and you're just like i'm drunk i need to get into bed friends or whatever are sleeping over and you just do your business there's no faffing about with a towel like you might do on the beach or like popping into the bathroom to get changed you're just like nope (laughs) we're here for business and will has that like oblivious drunk exhausted feverish doesn't give a shit anymore energy that yeah sure (laughs) i will say as well that like will is really again he's quite short with liar in this chapter but i think that i'm totally here for it this time because like he just seems like he's in so much pain he's pretty much got a free pass because he's lost so much blood yeah no totally like he hasn't got time for like to like try and be polite which is i always feel like i one of the things about me that you might already know is that I have a real issue. Like I want everyone to like me. So I feel like even if I'd lost that amount of blood, I would have still been like, uh, is it okay if I do this or do that? Like, I just don't think I would have lost that politeness because I'm just so like scared that one person in the world doesn't like me, which is obviously really stupid because not everyone can like you, but I just can't accept that. I like you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. I, I also just think fair enough though in this case for will definitely yeah if it was me i'd be like i'm so sorry that i've bled on that bed that isn't yours and isn't mine but i'm going to apologize about it anyway yeah 100 percent. i'd be like i'm so sorry i'm bleeding everywhere this is how emo i am i just immediately thought of that taking back sunday song where it's like um oh it called your soul last summer and it's it says you could slit my throat and with my one last dying breath i'd apologize for bleeding on your shirt that would be me <laughs> i'm so emo so emo <laughs> beautiful what a good like lyric recall that you have there she didn't even google it i didn't i didn't right out of your brain it's how much of an emo you are yeah that exactly right that part of my childhood like those songs are just ingrained so much into my brain that i can pretty much recite you any emo song (laughs) nice lyra helps him get dressed and she bandages him up and he's really really bleeding and his hand is swollen and red and that just makes me think that he's got an infection or he's getting an infection. It's not a great sign, is it? No. In our infinite enthusiasm, we have attempted to get some medical answers for you. My very lovely friend, Holly, asked her very lovely friend, who is a doctor, to answer these questions for me about how they would deal with this situation. Here is the patient brief that I gave them. I gave this brief at the point we were at in the books. We might have had a little bit more information since then, but I don't think enough to like change too much. So this is what the doctor was answering our question to. We have reached a point in the subtle knife where a character has had two fingers cut off, ring and pinky, close to the bone next to the knuckle, by a magic knife. He cannot go to the hospital because he is on the run. He is in a world where the tech isn't as good as ours. He has two finger stumps that are bleeding and will not stop. It's been at least five hours since they were cut off and he is bleeding through the dressing. What would a doctor tell him to do to treat it? Would he still be conscious based on how much blood he would have lost? And how would one go about treating the severed fingers when you can't reattach and there isn't enough skin to sew the stumps shut? Gross. Love it. That is the information that our doctor friend has. Our friend, Dr. Anna Hurley. This is her response that she has given to us. Shout out, Dr. Anna Hurley. Big whoops to Dr. Anna. Thank you so much for answering our question. And a little prior warning is that Anna is a doctor. She will be describing some potentially gory medical stuff and procedures that you would do on the finger. So if you are a little bit squeamish, some of this might make you feel a little bit squeamish. So you can skip ahead about six minutes and that should get you past the worst of it if you do not want to listen to the squeamish stuff. Yes. Play it, Rich. Play it. 
Hello. So having a look at the message, right. They have cut two fingers off, ring and pinky, close to the first bone next to the knuckle by a magic knife. Okay. So there's two finger stumps and the bleeding won't stop. It's been at least five hours since they were cut off and he's bleeding through the dressing. Okay, so what I would tell them to do, I'm guessing they're obviously not, this isn't like a real life scenario. So they're not near any hospital. So it would be to keep their hand as elevated as possible. So whether that's in like a high arm sling or they can fashion something where they tied some kind of piece of material to some kind of tree or something so that the hand is is elevated. And then the dressing that they apply has to apply pressure to the specific bleeding points. And if they do both of those things with pressure and elevation, then the bleeding will likely stop. The vessels that run into the fingers are quite small. So with elevation and pressure, the bleeding will will stem and may even eventually clot off. He would probably still be conscious. If you've been bleeding for five hours, but you had a dressing on, you probably wouldn't have lost too much blood. You might be feeling a bit dizzy and unwell, but um, you probably wouldn't lose enough to make you unconscious through two fingers eventually treating them so i mean you could say whether this was like in hospital or out of hospital but in hospital if this person came in and they had severed fingers you could do a few things so the most easy option would be to if you're saying that they there isn't enough skin you shorten the bone that's left so, and you basically shorten the bone until you get enough soft tissue coverage to sew it back up. Or you could even move some skin from somewhere else, depending on what you had exposed. But the likely, the most likely thing that we do is shorten the bone using a tool called bone nibblers and then tie the suture the skin over the top of that. If it was a really nice clean cut, and the patient presented early on and they really, really, really wanted to try and keep their fingers, you can try a surgery called a revascularization, which is basically like replanting the fingers. But this involves microsurgery, which you need a microscope. Uh, and it would, it would take hours because you have to reattach the arteries the veins, the nerves, the tendons, the bones, and then sew up the skin. So it's like a very long operation. If it was out of hospital and like this person's in the wilderness, eventually the bleeding would stop. The vessels would clot off. If there wasn't enough skin there, the likelihood is that this person would probably get an infection. But if it weren't, if like they didn't get an infection, then you might get some sort of growth of what's called like granulation tissue, which is your body's kind of like fibrotic tissue trying to heal. If the bones were exposed, 
I mean, this is be very unlikely to happen. You can't really grow sort of like new skin over your bones. So if the bones were exposed, the likely thing would be that these would get infected and would either cause this patient to have like overwhelming sepsis or it would the yeah, the infection would just continue to spread. If they could somehow, if they were in the wilderness and I am like telling them, you know, they're never going to get to hospital, they've got to try and treat it themselves. Very tricky, but I think I'd probably suggest that they removed that last bit of bone that was still sticking out and then obviously keep their, the wounds wrapped up and then the soft tissue would eventually, after a few weeks, just start healing around healing back together if it didn't get infected um and i reckon that's about all i can tell you but if you have any other questions i can try and answer them for you hope that helps amazing amazing thank you so much dr anna yes thank you so much what a great message we weren't able to interview her or anything because she's been so busy and took time out of one of her few shifts off recently to like just read through our message and do a quick response so thank you so much (laughs) and I loved that so much I loved it so much I am obsessed with bone nibblers for a fucking start bone nibblers bone nibblers also obsessed with the advice of to tell someone to just trim your own bone down a little bit it's fine yeah just get rid of that it's getting in the way of the healing just pop (laughs) pop the rest of those finger bones off it'll be fine yeah you don't need them (laughs) brilliant but essentially it kind of sounds like will is gonna need some kind of pretty serious medical help or intervention at some point soon if he is not gonna lose the hand or worse his life at this point because it does sound like there's an infection setting in from what we can figure out whilst it's a very very clean cut it does sound like there's going to be exposed bones there from where his fingers have been cut Oh, it's grim. (laughs) I love it. It's gross, but I love it. So they eat and they have like coffee and stuff. And then there's a bit here. We have this conversation all the time about like Lyra being like very submissive towards Will. I think this is the worst that we've had so far. I've got an interesting take on this that I don't know if you're going to like. Oh, okay. I would read it out first and then you tell me what it is. Will says, you better ask the alethiometer what to do next. Have you asked it anything yet? No, she said. I'm only going to do what you asked from now on. I thought of doing it last night, but I never did. And I won't either unless you ask me to. I don't like it. I know that a lot of people have like not agreed with what we've said, but like, especially like, I'm only going to do what you asked me to do from now on. And like, this isn't a reflection on Will. This is more of a reflection on Lyra. And I know that Lyra's going through a lot, but it just feels really icky to me. I really don't like that language. Like, I'm only going to do what you asked me to do from now on. I don't like it. So my kind of gut reaction to this when I read it, which is really unusual, it's not what I thought I'd have, was kind of like, it's obviously kind of got nothing to do with Will because he's not asked Lyra to do any of this. But I feel like Lyra's kind of shifting a burden onto Will when she's saying this. Because by saying, I had my own thought, I thought I might check the alethiometer of my own volition, but I've decided that I'm only going to do what you tell me. So now the entirety of this mental burden of planning going forwards is on you. I'm not going to help. I might have my own ideas and stuff, but I'm not going to help or plan. I'm only going to do exactly what you tell me. And it's like if somebody says like, oh yeah, I'll help you out with that job. And you're trying to like delegate half the job to someone. 
And like you can give them a list of instructions, but you expect them to use their common sense. And then they only do exactly what you've listed and don't use their common sense. It feels like Lyra is almost doing that to me. Like if she's only going to do exactly what Will tells her, she's not actually helping Will that much because she's removed her own... Um, her own force of will, her own individuality and ideas from the situation. And I feel like if I was Will, I'd be feeling really intimidated by somebody saying that to me, like, I'm only going to do exactly what you tell me. Whilst it feels like icky in a kind of like, why is she being really subservient kind of way, it's kind of icky and I'm like, this kid's just had two of his fingers chopped off. He doesn't need the mental burden of looking after somebody else's well-being and instructing them on every single action at the same time. (laughs) No, very true. Like, I'd not thought about it that way, but it's very true. Like, do you think that if we're going with that theory, do you think that Lyra's aware that she's doing that and she's doing it on purpose? Or do you think that she thinks it's the right thing to do? Like, she thinks that that's what Will wants to hear, so that's why she's saying it. You see, I also don't know that I necessarily blame Lyra for this either, because I think that she is scared because her past history of going out on her own following her own instincts and doing what she wants to do of her own volition have historically ended not very well for her so I can see why she'd want to just follow someone else's lead and relinquish that responsibility but by relinquishing your responsibility you're putting that burden onto someone else so I don't think either of them are doing any of it intentionally but I don't it's not a very happy dynamic I don't feel like it's not a very equal or fair dynamic on either of them very true great take loved it i have feelings (laughs) (laughs) no it's interesting it's really interesting to think about it like that because we'll we'll never know like do you know what i mean like phil always phil's always like once the book's out there you do what you want with it i'm not gonna fucking tell you what i meant when i wrote it (laughs) but yeah it just feels like lyra's just trying to do everything as right as she can and she's scared of doing stuff wrong so she's letting someone else decide or asking someone else to decide which is actually when I think about it a kind of harsh thing to do (laughs) in some situations but essentially throughout the rest of this chapter they do take a relatively equal standpoint it's not like Will has to tell Lyra to do that much this chapter because they both have to think on their feet and do a lot of like quick decision making over the next few pages. Yeah so Lyra now tells Will what she saw from the tower so she tells him about uh, Tulio get inspected and like Angelica seeing that and seeing them with the knife which she hadn't told Will before because obviously he just had his fingers chopped off this is an interesting bit she says that she thinks that they want the knife so that they can protect themselves from the spectres and Will questions kind of what the spectres are and what they mean in that world he said what did it look like when he was attacked He started counting the stones in the wall. He sort of felt all over them, but he couldn't keep it up. In the end, he sort of lost interest and stopped. Then he was just still. And she asks him why. And he says, because I think maybe they come from my world after all, the spectres, if they make people behave like that. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they came from my world. And when the guild men opened their first window, if it was into my world, the spectres could have gone through then. Lyra says, but you don't have spectres in your world. You never heard of them, did you? Maybe they're not called spectres. Maybe we call them something else. And Lyra's not sure what he means and she doesn't press. Because his cheeks are all red. Yeah, it's obvious that Will's talking about his mum and his mum's mental illness. It's just sad to see this little boy clawing at any reason for why his mum is ill saying that it is a spectre a being that does this to someone it feels like more of an explanation than it's just something that's wrong with her brain or some like her brain functions in a different way it gives you a monster to fight yeah exactly and i just feel that 
really heavily and I feel for Will so much in this chapter. He just wants to protect his mum and he has a knife now that can kill the spectres and that could help his mum if there were spectres that that had done this to her. Mm. This is another part of the puzzle, I think, where I a few chapters ago, thought that there was a really clear line between the spectres and Will's mum and the counting and all that kind of stuff. And we couldn't quite work out where it was. And I think perhaps that it's an impression that Phil is quite subtly built up across the book that I thought was a much more solid impression. But the little bits like this, where Will doesn't explicitly say it's about his mum, but we've pieced that together, kind of really helped to build that link. Mm-hmm. Ugh. As two people that struggle with their mental health and also knowing a lot of other people that struggle with their mental health like I just really put myself in Will's shoes and have thought many times like oh god if only I could help that person or if only I could help myself if only I had a knife that could kill this spectre that's causing this person this pain it's so poignant and so sad and it just makes me sad yeah they don't have much time to dwell on that because Lyra points out that Angelica knows that they have the knife and that Lyra thinks that she'll come after them. And Lyra expresses how bad she feels and they kind of have this com- like this conversation about the morality of having fought for the knife, having hurt Tulio and him getting spectred and how they feel guilty about it. And Lyra compares Will here to Yorick. Will says, you know, we wouldn't have fought him if we didn't have to but we had to. And Lyra kind of makes this, It's. I feel like it's quite a, again, it shows her kind of naivety in some ways, I think, because she says, like Yorick Bernison, Will was a fighter truly enough. So she was prepared to agree with him when he said it would be better not to fight. She knew it wasn't cowardice that spoke, but strategy. He was calmer now and his cheeks were pale again. He was looking into the middle distance and thinking. But I don't think that I feel like it's that Lyra, like, black and white, heroes are fighters and Will's a murderer and so I can trust him and this kind of idea of cowardice because I feel like Lyra's quite a cut-and-dry view of, like, bravery and cowardice, whereas, like, often the bravest thing to do is to take the pacifist stance. <laughs> I don't understand this because Will says, obviously, we had to fight him and he, like, explains why they had to fight him. And then Lyra's like, yeah, but I feel bad about it, which is fair. But then the fact that Lyra says Will was a fighter truly enough so she was prepared to agree with him when he said it would be, would be better not to fight. But they did fight and although it would be better not to fight, she was the one that felt bad about fighting. So I don't see why her brain has gone to that. And I understand that she sees Yorick as a fighter and she looks up to Yorick. But it there was just a disconnect between her being like, oh, but I feel really bad because... We, we did fight and we hurt people in that fight. But then she's saying like, oh, well, I know like Will has a strategy and like that makes sense as why he wouldn't want to fight. It, do you know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense in my brain. I don't know if I explained that very well or not, to be honest. It's some pretty unusual Lyra logic. What Will's saying just makes perfect sense. Like we would avoid a fight if at all possible. It's not like Yorick goes out looking for people to beat up are looking for wars to start he just happens to be very good at fighting when these fights do come along maybe it's that maybe she's just realizing that that is the bravery isn't going out looking for a fight it's only fighting when it's absolutely necessary but it is confusingly placed on the page (laughs) yeah yeah it is it is will is he's a very perceptive person he then says 
that they should be worrying about Sir Charles and Mrs. Coulter. He mentions the soldiers that Mrs. Coulter mentioned a couple of chapters ago that don't have demons. And then he theorizes that he thinks that the spectres, he says, eat demons. And then they kind of had a, have a little conversation around, well, they don't hurt children. And then Will says it must be something to do with adults having demons that are fixed forms, which... It's interesting. I wonder, like, if it's because, like, Will's a very perceptive, clever person anyway, we know this, but I wonder if it's because, like, he's more like, I know Lyra doesn't know what Spectres is, but Lyra's grown up with demons. Everyone in her world has a demon. Will's never seen a demon before. It's been, like, what, a week, if that, that he's been interacting with people and their demons. And that because he's removed from the demon situation, maybe he can see it more clearly with the Spectres, if that makes sense. Lyra has known demons all her life. Will's kind of come in. When you're removed from the situation, you kind of see it in a broader sense. So he can maybe pinpoint that it's the demons that the spectres are going to go after. Yeah. And I guess like as the reader, it seems like quite an obvious jump because we've spent the entirety of the last book obsessing over the difference between children's and grown-ups and children's and grown-ups demons. And then we walk into a world where children are safe and grown-ups aren't. So I think it was always going to be clear that it was the same difference that differentiated a changing demon and a fixed demon as the difference that repelled and attract or indifferent and attracted spectres but i guess it's specifically pinpointing that they might attack the demon itself rather than the person is what's interesting i would like to read out this paragraph and i want you to pop a pin in it and that's all i'm gonna say about it it's about mrs coulter yeah she said could be and she wouldn't be afraid of spectres anyway she ain't afraid of anything and she's so clever will honest and she's so ruthless and cruel she could boss them i bet she could she could command them like she does people and they'd have to obey her i bet lord boreal is strong and clever but she'll have him doing what she wants in no time oh well i'm getting scared again thinking what she might do i'm going to ask the alethiometer like you said thank goodness we got that back anyway presented without comment put a pin in it <laughs> yeah I'm really here for descriptions of Mrs. Coulter. Me too. Anytime anyone wants to spend a paragraph talking about how strong a woman is, I'm here to read it. Even if she's evil, I don't care. <laughs> same, same, same. Lyra offers to read the alethiometer to find out about Will's dad. But boy, after our own hearts, Will asks Lyra to make sure that his mum's okay first, which is adorable. And she does confirm that she is okay and that the friend that's looking after her she's ever so kind no one knows where your mother is and they won't find her and she w and the friend won't give her away Ugh. Oh. we love the old piano lady we do i'm so glad to hear that will's mum is okay it kind of lifts a weight off will that he didn't realize that he had which unfortunately makes room for a bit more of the finger pain yeah unfortunately Oh my goodness, Pan becomes a lynx in this chapter. Is that why I kind of felt like a lynx was the right thing for my demon this week? Because I'd literally just read about a lynx. Did you have lynxes on the brain? Maybe. I just didn't know it because I didn't make a note about it. It just kind of washed over me, but he's he's there. Pan's sitting in my head Aww. in his lynx form. <laughs> <laughs> so this is when they look up and they see just an angry mob of children outside, as you do. Well, well. Rot -ra. It's Angelica. Angelica was beside the leading boy, tugging at his arm, urging him on. Just behind them, her little brother Paolo was shrieking with excitement and other children too were yelling and waving their fists in the air. Two of them were lugging heavy rifles. Will had seen children in this mood before, but never so many of them. 
and the ones in his town didn't carry guns. Guns are bad, kids. So bad. So bad. So this whole thing with the kids and their mob mentality and they're like egging each other on without any parents to guide them and they're kind of just like trying to fend for themselves is very Lord of the Flies. I don't know if you read that when, when you were in school. I actually haven't. The only Lord of the Flies references I have are pop culture ones like that episode of The Simpsons. It's been a long time since I've read it. I read it in school. We watched the film as well. But basically, it's kind of what's happening here. So like the kids, I mean, God, somebody please correct me if I'm wrong because it's been a long time. Like I said, kids basically get stranded on a desert island and they have to fend for themselves. And it kind of ends, no spoilers, but it ends with like a very similar like angry mob against certain kids and it gets very graphic and dark and it's very like it reminds me a lot actually of like anti-vaxxers and all that kind of stuff like how and how those protests and stuff can sometimes get violent and the stuff that happened at the capitol in the u.s because of like the mob mentality around groups of people that uh, maybe didn't set out to 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 be violent but end up doing horrendous things because of what's the word like not the spirit of the people because that sounds too positive but like the vibe of everything around them like eggs them on to do these horrible things it makes me think of the moo episode of buffy the vampire slayer yeah where they essentially egged on by a demon to be fair but this demon like kind of encourages by manipulating them showing them dead children which is great um manipulates all the mums in Sunnydale to like essentially go on a witch hunt and like start persecuting teenage goths yeah so kind of like that like that vibe and this is what's happening here I think with these kids and it's it's actually sad it's very sad obviously these kids are being little shits but it's very sad because like they're just kids like they miss their parents they don't know what the fuck they're doing they're trying to look after themselves they thought that they would be safe with a knife and then that gets taken from them it's just really sad and I just love to like take all these kids under my wing and you know be a be a parental figure for them which makes me feel really fucking old. <laughs> <laughs> it also just really reminds me of like whenever like at secondary school whenever there would be any kind of fight and like the way people would like swarm through the corridors to go and watch a fight. What are you? <laughs> I was always the kid that was like awkwardly in the corridor like wait what's going on? Like completely oblivious to everything. <laughs> It's so odd, the, like, energy of rooms like that. It makes me feel really uncomfortable. Oh, same. <laughs> They're all shouting. Will makes out Angelica's voice. You killed my brother and you stole the knife. You murderers. You made the spectres get him. You killed him and we'll kill you. You ain't gonna get away. We're gonna kill you same as you killed him. And Lyra's like, Will, cut a fucking window, mate. And he's like... No. Like, no. <laughs> he's like, girl, we are five meters away from charles's front door and he will be looking for us yeah we can't do that unfortunately <laughs> they agree to instead there's some like woods behind the villa but there's like a really exposed slope that goes up to it they agree to like run to that run to the cover of the woods hoping the kids don't see them they start to do that and will bless his little heart he can't run because he's losing too much blood and they have to keep stopping and walking and it's a big thing. Yeah, he really can't handle this hill. And this is really reminiscent for me of like bad dreams where you just can't run and you're trying to do something like running up a hill that's got long grass and it's really horrible to run on and you're not making it to where you want to go fast enough and have to change your direction and something's coming after you. In this case, a mob of angry children. 100%. I hate getting chased. It makes me need a wee. <laughs> <laughs> the least convenient time. I know, right? 
So, like, initially the kids haven't noticed where they've gone and they get, like, a little bit of a head start, but then a little boy is in the t- on the top floor of the house and sees them out the window and shouts, and so they start getting followed. They make a beeline instead for this temple-like structure or... Belvedere. It's a Belvedere. There's a lovely little moment here as they're running. Lyra and Pan have more energy than Will to be running. And so Pan's kind of flying up as high as he can fly to check out the view or flying ahead. And Will's kind of witnessing Lyra's emotions change and her face change as Pan reaches the end of the like human demon tether connection. It's just really nice that the way that it's noted in this that he's observed that in amongst everything. Definitely, definitely. So they get to the Belvedere and they hide inside it. And there's no lock on the door, so that's fucking great. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like a really cool space. It's full of statues of goddesses, which I'm here for. And then there's like a spiral staircase all the way up the centre of it, which sounds really cool, that leads onto like what I can only imagine is like a donut kind of shaped platform around the spiral staircase that looks out across the view. And you can see Chittagatsi and the fields and the villa and the tower in the background. And Will notes... The, that he can see carrion crows circling the grey battlements of the tower. It kind of hits him like a thud in the stomach when he realises what will have drawn them there, which is grim. Phil! It didn't click with me straight away. It did not click. I was like, what is that? And I was like, oh yeah, it's Giacomo's rotting corpse. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for putting it so clearly, Faye. Just in case you didn't know. But yeah, you could quite easily like skim past that and not fully register what it is yeah 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 also i'm just i know that they had no other choice but i'm really fucking mad at them for doing the classic horror film thing of running into a space and then running straight up the stairs and then they just can't go anywhere else it's like when somebody's running away along a road and runs straight down the road instead of to the side like running away from a car or something and it's like or running away from a train by running along the train track it's like go sideways the train can only go one direction it's not like the train's gonna like hop off the tracks and run through the fields after you like what are you doing yeah it's very annoying it's very annoying but yeah i i get it they didn't really have another choice with will in his hand especially but still the kids are like heading towards the temple like firing the gun like shouting like murderer blah 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 basically like making their way up and then they get in and will is like what do we do and i think at this point they've cut a window at the top and they've realized that because they've gone up a slope they're like in the air in will's above Oxford, a main road above a main road so they are yeah. literally trapped <laughs> um and then will has the the kids come in and they're like trying to get up the staircase and will has a really good idea to like he just chops the staircase down with a knife and the staircase like collapses on all the kids phil is not scared to hurt children in these books truly truly not he is not quite honestly <laughs> i worry <laughs> because it's just it's a lot so he scrambled over to the opening in the floor and reached down and sliced through the iron of the top step as if it were paper with nothing to hold it up the staircase began to bend under the weight of the children crowding on it and then it swung down and fell with a huge crash more screams more confusion and again the gun went off but this time by accident it seemed because someone had been hit the scream was of pain this time and will looked down to see a tangle of writhing bodies covered in plaster and dust and blood phil i know just all these injured children he's just sure i'll just crush half a dozen children under a falling staircase why not why not why not why um this also 
this entire scene of being trapped in a building with an oncoming crowd that seems unstoppable and determined feels very zombie to me feels very walking dead it feels chopping the staircase to collapse it so that you're stuck on the top floor and then still being surrounded feels very walking dead i'm sure that's happened at some point it makes me think of do you know mulan i've mentioned mulan before this scene was used to really scare me do you know when they're getting ready for like battle and then like all the huns come over the hill when i say huns now it just makes me laugh because i think of like love of huns but like the the huns come over the hill and you see like one of them like one horse start to like run down the hill and then like all of them and there's so many and it's so scary it kind of reminds me of that a little bit as well that makes me think of the buffalo stampede in the lion king when you see like especially on the stage show where they've got the really cool like rolling boards and you see like one buffalo and then you see like more buffaloes coming yeah it's similar yeah very similar it also makes me think of the video of there's someone took a video of a bunch of raccoons under their decking and they're all sticking their little hands out trying to grab at food and it looks like a <laughs> horde of zombies. <laughs> and it's oh. really cute. It kind of makes me think of that. Yeah, fair. So the kids figure out that this Belvedere that they're in is not really that tall, so they can actually get out and like climb on the roof. I think you probably have someone below giving you like a leg up, wouldn't you? So they start to do that, which is also very like zombie-like. I love the descriptions of the kids because Phil really makes them sound really scary. Like he calls them like we're not seeing individual children we're seeing like i think he says that they're swarming like ants and that they're, they're not acting like they're acting like one being rather than like a bunch of kids which makes it more scary i think will does a very clever thing where he slices a couple of bits of railing out of it must be part of the top of the staircase so that him and lyra have something to fight with which i'm not loving this whole like child on child violence situation but i do think it's very clever of will to have thought to do that because otherwise they're completely defenseless except for this knife which would do significantly more damage than like a bit of pipe yeah definitely just like when i was talking about like mob mentality and lord of the flies like this bit particularly where it says someone was shouting kill 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 and then others joined in louder and louder and those on the roof began to stamp and thump the tiles in rhythm uh, but they didn't quite dare come closer, faced by the snarling demon, because obviously Pan is helping out here. Yeah, he's a he's a leopard at this point. Yeah, that very pod. much um, a pod. Uh, like reminds me of of that, like somebody starting a chant and then everyone just like losing their minds over it. It's very much that. It makes me the whole thing makes me feel incredibly anxious. Like reading this chapter, I could feel myself like tensing up. So it's very well constructed to make you feel incredibly anxious and to again like you were saying like kind of forget that they're children and find them genuinely quite scary and intimidating yeah and then will sees the kid in the striped top and is just immediately like they're both immediately like well obviously we're gonna fight each other like okay <laughs> fine and then yeah. will says um come on come on then which really makes me think of like it's such a laddie like british laddie thing to say isn't it go when on. You're, go on then come on then like, it really reminds me of that. And I was like, it's so British and very, like, laddie to be like, come on then, mate. Fucking smack your face in. <laughs> you looking at me? <laughs> but there's no fight necessary and it doesn't happen because Kaiser appears. Kaiser. A great big bloody goose arrives. Yeah. <laughs> I've missed Kaiser, missed Serafina. Obviously, Lyra is, like, over the moon to see Serafina. Poor Will is just, like, 
And then this bloody massive goose showed up. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't know this goose. No, no, he does not know the goose. The geese are proper scary. We've had this conversation before about how scary a goose is. So, like, I'm not surprised that all the children are a bit taken aback as well because geese can really fuck you up. They definitely can. They definitely can. Kaiser scares away the kids, right? As does... Right, so it says, like, the witches are in the sky. So Kaiser's come down. The witches are in the sky. They're like fire arrows at the kids. Are we are we assuming that none of the arrows hit these kids? Are we assuming that they're like magic and they don't hit them? My note here is that they must all be very good aims because we know that Seraphina's clan cares very strongly about children, which is why they chose to intervene at Bolfanger. So I feel like they wouldn't deliberately hurt children. And Phil doesn't say at any point that there were screams of children being hit. And we know from the staircase tangle that Phil doesn't hesitate to tell us when <laughs> children true. are hurt. So I think if someone was hit, we'd know. So I, I can only hope and assume that they are very, very accurate arrows placed to scare the children and not hurt them. <laughs> fair, 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 fair. It's interesting that uh, Kaiser says, because Lyra's like, Serafina, Serafina, come down and talk to me. And Kaiser says, well, she can't because she'll get spectred. And that's interesting because it kind of disproves Will's theory, right? Because if it was the demons that got spectred, then the spectres would come for Kaiser. I guess Kaiser hasn't landed. He's kind of just whooping his wings in the air and kind of holding steady. But then why can't Serafina do that on her broom? I have no idea. It doesn't really make sense. Or is it just luck that... It happens to be that there aren't spectres near Will, so Kaiser's able to fly close to Will. Because also they're, they're off the ground, aren't they? Because like Sarah could land on the roof if the spectres can't get up there. I don't know. It's just a chance for us to chat to Kaiser and I'm here for it. Yeah, fair. I think this is really cool that there's like hundreds of spectres around and the kids just can't see them. I really like that like added layer of, of threat, even though they're not really a threat to the kids, but it just makes it more creepy to think that all this has happened while there's hundreds of spectres around, but they just can't see them. Yes, I love that. One of my notes was like, how scary is it that, yeah, like the whole time they've been terrified of these children surrounding them and swarming them. And yeah, the entire time it's been happening, this invisible swarm of spectres has like built up around them as well. Yeah, I love it. It's It's so creepy. And I wonder why though, because like there's nothing there to attract the spectres. There aren't any grown-ups. So is it just that they're attracted to like maybe some of the kids are nearly there and they're just waiting they're like is it your birthday (laughs) (laughs) maybe they've just come to see what's going on (laughs) love that uh we get some classic lyra full name in seraphina peckler in this chapter which i love and i've missed because we haven't (laughs) had that for a while kaiser says enough now there's more trouble coming and bigger get down as best you can and then make for the trees kaiser's then like who's this kid (laughs) Who's Will? Because obviously they've never met. I wonder if he's been there this whole time having this conversation being like, she's not introduced me. I'm going to have to introduce <laughs> myself. Oh my God, I'm going to have to ask her to introduce me. Lyra, who's this? <laughs> Why haven't you Rude. introduced us? <laughs> Rude. <laughs> this is an interesting bit because... Kaiser says to Will why the spectre's avoiding you and Will realises that it's a knife and he says to Kaiser like where's the nearest spectre because he wants to see if he can just fucking kill one. So this is now a point ever so slightly closer because or ever so slightly further away because they Lyra and Will have jumped off the roof and are now like hiking up the slope with Kaiser towards the witches. It must be that hike up this like very large open space that's made Kaiser really notice the like space around will 
because there's no buildings or other people or anything in the way it must just be a really clear view of like a little circle around him yeah yeah definitely and Serafina comes to land and I like this description of her but Will couldn't do what he intended because at the same moment a witch landed her branch on the grass beside him he was taken aback not so much by her flying as by her astounding gracefulness the fierce cold lovely clarity of her gaze and by the pale bare limbs so youthful and yet so far from being young love it yes anytime we get a description of a witch I'm here for it love fierce cold lovely clarity Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Will wants to try and kill a spectre. <laughs> yes. And then he doesn't get the chance to because Lyra comes fucking running at Serafina, gives her a big hug, and like Serafina kisses her on the head, and it's just so lovely. It's so lovely. Oh. I kind of like love the image of her being slightly taken aback by the in- the like informality of being like rush hugged. In my head, there's like a little cartoon there of her being like, oh a hug and then be like oh it's lyra and then give her a little kiss on the head yeah that's so <laughs> sweet so seraphina explains that there's a cave in the woods about half an hour walk and that they should all meet there and the spectres won't follow because will has the knife and that they don't seem to fly so the spectres aren't really able to follow or trace the witches when they're in the air which is to be noted Mm, definitely and then i really love this is one of my favorite lyra traits and i mentioned it in northern lights when she does it with yorick but she just like chatters and chatters at will about like Serafina and like she seems to have completely forgot the trauma that they've just been through and she's just like fucking gabbing away at him and I love it. I love it so much. She's the kind of person who I'm I'm aware that I might do this as well. But like you know when you've met someone new and you're like getting to them and you become quite good friends and like you've essentially exchanged a lot of stories and then you feel like every time you're around someone else, they bring up something that's relevant. And you're like, oh yeah, my friend so-and-so was telling me about this the other day. And you feel you're constantly saying, my friend so-and-so or so-and-so from work. And like constantly talking about someone else. It feels like that's kind of the same energy Lyra has here where she just can't stop telling stories about Serafina because they've just bumped into her. Like, I shouldn't tell you about my friend Serafina. My friend Serafina. (laughs) Did you know she's a witch? And she flies. Oh. (laughs) This one time, she flew all the way around the North Pole. (laughs) Just all these things that Lyra could be telling. So great. And Will just kind of like, just being content to listen, not bothering to try and tell her to stop gabbing and chatting because she's clearly happy and like just existing with his poor bloody hand. And it takes them an hour and a, an hour and three quarters yeah, instead of half an hour to get there because Will kept, keeps having to stop to rest. Like, I just want to give him a hug. Well, I just want to fix his hand and then give him a hug. Yeah, I know. I feel so bad for him. They get there, they do, and there's like a little, little, I suppose like a little campsite going on, like Sarah, the, like the witches are like roasting a rabbit and all that kind of shit, you know, just just chilling out. Straight to the point, Seraphine is like, let me see your wound. And Will can't look at it, but Pan's like, ooh, what's going on there? Oh, Pan, yeah. <laughs> Wants to have a little look. And the witches like have a little chat about it and ask what the weapon was that made it and Will produces the knife and the witches are all a bit like, ooh, and they're like checking out the knife because they know it's, they can tell it's special. I just really love this next little bit because it kind of just says everything about Seraphina's attitude and about the witches as a whole for me, just the like practicality of it. This will need more than herbs to heal. It will need a spell, said Seraphina Pecola. Very well, we'll prepare one. <laughs> it will be ready when the moon rises. In the meantime, you shall sleep. 
She gave him a little horn cup containing a hot potion whose bitterness was moderated by honey, and presently he lay back and fell deeply asleep. The witch covered him with leaves and turned to Lyra, who was still gnawing on a bit of rabbit. I just love the idea of her being like, oh, that'll need a spell. Right then, let's make a spell. Drink this drink and I'll cover you up with some leaves. <laughs> Why not? Why not? And just the image of her, like, kind of popping leaves on top of this sleeping boy with his bloodied hand. <laughs> like, oh. it'll be better. Just, here you are under some leaves. Great. Pat, Thank pat. you. <laughs> just one more leaf on top for warmth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining really small leaves as well. Like, it might be two massive, like, palm fronds or something, but I'm imagining her, like, collecting loads of leaves and, like, <laughs> him waking up like, what the fuck? I was imagining like all those like, do you know like leaves that have been like really heavily trampled on and they're like all muddy and shit. That's what I was imagining. <laughs> Just when you think you're going to have a beautiful like autumn moment in Hyde Park because there's all the beautiful like big piles of leaves and you go to try and like throw some leaves in the air and realise they're all like half composted and squishy and gross and you're like, this is not my fantasy. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm imagining. That's how I feel like he's covered. This is the end of the chapter, right? So Seraphina asks Lyra to just basically tell her what's going on. Who's this boy? What's this knife? What's been happening since I last saw you? You know, have a catch up. And Lyra takes a deep breath and does what she does best. Tells the story. Yeah. And fortunately, or unfortunately, I don't know, Phil doesn't bother recapping it for us because we've already read it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the end of the chapter. And like... Like I said at the beginning, like I didn't really love this chapter, but like I have enjoyed our conversation about it. And also we spoke for much longer than I thought we would about this chapter that I didn't really think I had much to say about. It's an interesting one because it's one of those where like a lot of technically like a lot of action happens and there's some really striking imagery in it that really sticks with me and some really powerful moments. But like in essence, like we were saying at the beginning, all the chapter really serves to do is to move Will and Lyra on and to give them a little bit of help with their next problem. Exactly. Do you have an award to give out? I, I'm really not sure this week about who I want to give my award to. Usually I would have probably singled out one of those children, but they were all being so horrible. <laughs> so I feel like it's just going to have to be for Will this week because he's having such a hard time of it. He definitely needs a little pick-me-up. I just, I've, this whole chapter, I've just been really feeling for him. And just the moment when he asked Lyra to check in on his mum makes my heart do a little, like, grow a little bit. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you? I've also gone for Will. I just thought it was, a. it's just a really tough chapter for him. Double Will Award week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, imagine all that shit going on while you're losing loads of fucking blood from your hand. Like, it's mm -hmm. awful. Although hopefully, according to, to Dr. Anna, not too much because there's only small blood vessels there. So if they've put their bandages on right, it shouldn't be too bad. Well, I mean... We hope. <laughs> he's definitely lost a lot of blood. He definitely has, hasn't he? Bless yeah, him. <laughs> he has. He has. What's the next chapter called? The next chapter is called Screen Language. Mm, 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 mm. Interesting. Interesting. I have a sneaking suspicion we might be checking in with our old pal, Dr. Mary. Mm, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Speaking of awards and rewards, we are still running our giveaway that you can enter 
by leaving us a review, screenshotting that review and emailing that screenshot to her.materialspod at gmail.com. Reviews really, really help other people to find the podcast and they help us with all the fancy podcast ranking things. And we just thought, being as it's such a great big help to us for you to leave us reviews, we would like to do something nice for you, which will be running a big giveaway. So once we get 50 of those emails in, we will be picking 10 people to win some super fun HDM pod merch. Please say nice things and give us five stars because it helps and we like to read them also. It makes us feel good about ourselves. (laughs) It really does. (laughs) I get a very happy message from Faye every time somebody leaves a review and sends us an email. Yes, yes, yes. So please do, please do. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Herd Art Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at HerdArtMaterialsPod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. I'm Fear, and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Will, you can find me hanging out on Twitter and Instagram at Faily, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not pestering doctors for excellent facts about chopped off fingers, I'm making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore Makes, and over in my online shop, RachMakes.co.uk. Huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well. Bye-bye. 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 B